Hello, friends, and welcome to To The Point, the home services podcast that focuses on marketing and operational solutions to help you get better. Because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Now, let's cut through the bullshit and get to the point. Hey, what's up, To The Point listeners? First, right out of the gate, thank you. Thank you for listening week after week, all the awesome comments that we get and the praise and just the cool stories we're hearing coming from those that are actually implementing things they're learning from the podcast. That is the exact reason that we do this every single week is to help y'all. So thank you so much from the bottom of our heart. I am your host to the point, Chris Yano, also the CEO of Rhino Strategic Solutions, a digital marketing company for home services since 2008, still going strong, still in the trades every single day, and I'm with my host, co-host, Mr. Tall Paul. What's up, my man? Yano, it is a good day for a good day. Always good to be in the virtual studio with you. I'm excited for today. Um, particularly because, you know, we talk to, uh, we talk to a lot of people, but we know that there are people behind the people who are making things happen that take these companies to the next level. And so today's kind of an opportunity for us to peel that back a little bit and hear the story of someone who's done some tremendous things at uh, a few different companies that most of our listeners have heard of. So man, I'm pumped. It's going to be a good day. So I'll I'll toss it back to you, my man. Man, I'm excited for the day when you get back in the actual studio here in Phoenix, dude, like we got to get back there soon. Me too, man. The audio is way better. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, you know what? I I just really want to see you take more selfies in the airplane with your six foot eight legs crammed in between the the seats. Like that's what I'm really missing. (laughs) That was it. That was an othery, not a selfie. I'm not a selfie guy. Yeah. You're a selfie. But no, I have my first trip coming up um, in what, like less than a month, but I'm not going to the office. Where are we going? We are going to a dude ranch in Wyoming to go be cowboys. Just be on cowboys. Our, on our incentive trip for all my guys who crushed it, it last year and taking care of our customers. So, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. By the way, seeing you on a horse is going to be one of the highlights of my year, by the way. <laughs> I bet. A giraffe on a horse. <laughs> a giraffe on a horse. Okay, let's get into it. I want to introduce our guest. I'm super excited to have him on the show. Um, we had never met before. Um, worked for a lot of the companies that I'm well aware of. Very, very, very big companies, successful companies, reputable companies on the West Coast who, like Paul was saying, is one of those guys that kind of helped run the show. I mean, was a big part of the deal, big part of the trainings, big part of the success. And it's great to bring these guys in and talk about their experiences from their point of, you know, their point of view. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, he has a heart to, uh, to help others and serve. That's why he's on the podcast, so I'm excited about it. And I'm going to read off a little bit of his background and uh, that way we can kind of set the stage on on our guests. And, God, it's been 20 years running in the residential HVAC and plumbing industry and um, been the GM of three companies that are 150 million, or excuse me, 150 plus employees, uh, 100 plus vehicles. Um, you know, actually, I think you said it was really fortunate to work with a couple of major players, you know, successful guys in the industry like Jim Abrams. Um, you know, Clockwork Home Services Success Group, Airtime 500, for those of you that know. Um, also, Leland Smith, service champions, um, super successful company on the small, teeny tiny little service company on the uh, in Southern California. <laughs> um, but then also, what was cool for our Canadian listeners, which we have quite a few, which is pretty cool, um, 
spent a few years running the, and if I, I'm going to make sure I got this right, one of the biggest residential plumbing companies in, uh, in Canada, eh? <laughs> yes, sir. And, uh, and now currently is a regional manager in, uh, for Southern California for Ruder Hero Plumbing, which is what about, I think you said it's about uh, Ruder Hero Plumbing, which is about 10 locations that uh, you're managing. Um, and now I believe you said you're getting ready to add HVAC to those 10 locations and across what, like a couple states. Is that, is that right, Lawrence? We are. It's exciting times here and, uh, you know, we're, we're knee deep in it. It's, it's not a, a small task to take on. So well, without, quite busy. without further ado, welcome to the podcast, our guest, Lawrence Castillo. What's up, my man? Thanks for having me. Good to see you guys. I, uh, I see I'm the only one with the, uh, the quarantine cut here, looks like. Well, it's I, o- uh, only because my hair's just now starting to grow out. I did the exact same thing. I took the I took a number uh, number two clip to it and just shaved it all. Um, horrible experience. I'm still recuperating from it, but I did get to the barber yesterday and cut the gray out, and uh, and I got cleaned up a little bit here, and it felt really good. I've been wearing a hat for so long that it was nice <laughs> to not wear a hat today. They they opened barbers in San Diego yesterday, so. And I just did this a few days ago, so I, if I would have had the patience, everything would have been okay. But it's all good. <laughs> so you're so you're in San Diego. That's correct. Yes. Got it. Cool. So um, what we want to try and uh, do here is um, talk about some of the effective sales training solutions and things that you've been through through all these companies because clearly it's been effective and work. And I don't just mean sales training for sales guys. I'm talking about sales training for you know for yeah for your comfort advisors, maybe for selling techs, which we'll talk about. Um, you know, the comparison between those two, but really even managers and even GMs at this point on, um, you know, different things that have been effective for you in these different companies. Um, I'm sure you've tried a lot of different things. Um, you know, the big piece of this that's happened and tall Paul and I were talking about this pre podcast was, um, a lot of the social media stuff has really picked up in some of the home services groups. And one thing that I've noticed, one thing that we've noticed is that there are starting to be a lot of air quote sales trainers, um, coming out of the woodworks, you know, and offering different training and things like that. Now, I'm not saying I have anything against that. It's just what's what, you know, and everybody, and then, you know, everybody's trying to, I mean, you know, I'm going to look at the bright side. Everybody's trying to just help because I have seen a lot of people trying to be helpful. Everybody's got their own opinion. Everybody's got their own way that works better, you know, but I also believe that um, there's a base to that. And I think that's something that you've taken that base and followed it from place to place. That's been had so much success. So I want to dive right into it. If you're ready to go, Lawrence. I am. Actually, Lawrence's new nickname is Just Lawrence. So uh, Just Lawrence. Just Lawrence. Um, inside joke. Okay. So let's get to question numero uno. Paul, I'm going to run with this first question, my man. Are you okay with that? I am comfortable with that. Wonderful. Yes, Wonderful. So, okay, Just Lawrence. What do you think about all the sales, air quote, sales trainers who are selling themselves like we were just talking about um, or a air quote selling system to, to, to companies to uh, supposedly, you know, increase revenue? Like what is your feedback on, on that? What's your opinion? Uh, I have a lot of friends that are a part of the, the you know, that, that group and same, you, you know, they, everybody has, an idea right um and at the end of the day i don't think that what we're doing now in 20 years from now is much different you know 
the wheel is not going to be reinvented. At the end of the day, our salespeople, they, they arrive at the call, they go in and they build value and make a friend and create urgency and handle the objections and close and post-close. And that's it. And that hasn't changed. Um, and if we go back 20, 30 years, you know, even the stuff that Jim Abrams and Ron Smith were, were talking about, um, you know, a, a comfort questionnaire and asking the questions up front and closing the doors and handling the objections before the end of the call, or even Ron Smith, you know, you need a nine tab presentation book. These, these were smart guys. And now, you know, 30 years later, none of it has changed, right? There are so many very, very successful salespeople out there that are following the same process, right? So people will, you know, these, this, the guys who are sales trainers, they'll package what they think is a better way. I think everybody th thinks they have a better way, but at the end of the day, it's just, you know, as a salesperson, it's, it's you're on an island. It's just you and your customer at the kitchen table. And if you've, you know, had a, a variety of input from all of these different sources, you've probably put together a pretty good game. And if you follow your process, right, you have to have process that works. And if it doesn't work, you have to be looking to, to find how to change it. But, um, you know, the folks that are doing the sales training, more power to them. Uh, I don't think any company out there needs to, you know, write a big check and have somebody, you know, on site for two months telling them how to, you know, how to run calls. If you, if you watch your metrics, and I'm talking about the time that guys spend on calls, I'm talking about the revenue per lead, I'm talking about all of those things. The, the, the problems, they'll, they'll rise to the top. You'll see where you have to train. So, um, hey, more power to the guys that can go out there and, and have great ideas that can help all of the salespeople that we, that we deal with. But you know, at the end of the day, it's the same stuff that we were doing 20, 30 years ago. So you, you go, oh, go so ahead, hang on. Chris. So you have, you talked about this, um, these metrics, because I believe to effectively, my opinion, I've not run a home services company, but I've worked with literally thousands. So I understand it. But from my perspective, you have to have these metrics in place, these KPIs, key performance indicators to be able to measure if they're hitting the mark or not, and then know how to train from there. So you talk about these different metrics that are in place and you gave some of them, but like, what are some key metrics for you that measure success in the sales space? I think it, it depends upon the kind of calls that you're running, right? If you're running Fair, market yeah. leads as opposed to, you know, tune-ups or yeah, a technician turned lead. Yep. But, um, you know, I think one, one of the ones that I mentioned was the time spent on a call. Um, you know, I think that it, it's easy for salespeople or technicians to, to go in and get a little complacent and, you know, take a look at the opportunity and think that there's nothing there and just want to move on to the next. But, you know, the, the, the real successful guys in our industry, um, that are out there selling two and three and $5 million, they're the guys that, you know, they'll sit there and grind it out and they can scramble, right? They're the ones that, you know, if you're tennis fans, you, you see a guy go down two sets and you wonder how he can dig in and spend the next three hours fighting back to win three straight sets. But you see this from the great guys, right? Djokovic can do that. Um, Federer can do this. Nadal can do this. And it's just, it's unbelievable. But 
that's what the really great salespeople can do on a call. You know, it just doesn't look good an hour in. And if you really just dig in a couple hours later, you walk out with $20,000, right? So and that's what really separates the, the real performers from the guys who, you know, who, who need to work on their craft. So you talk about time spent on a call. Is that more of a qualitative measure or are you looking at, hey, there's a specific duration of time you should be in someone's home? And the second question, has that changed over the last four or five months? Great question. Um, you know, these are interesting times right now. Um, I, I think, you know, I think about everything that's happened over the, the course of the last couple of months. And, um, you know, we are, we are telling our guys how to run these calls, right? With the masks and the gloves and all of this. But what many of us probably are failing to, to, to discuss and bring to the forefront with our guys is we have never had an opportunity to build value like we have today. We, we walk into houses and our instruction to our salespeople is find common ground, build value, make a friend. Right now, we all have something in common and we all want to talk about it. Right now, you, you can't stand within six, six feet of people, but you have more to talk about maybe than ever. So I think, you know, it, it, if we take advantage of that, this becomes a a windfall, a customer service windfall, right? People just are heroes now. You know, it was, we would go in and, and, and replace their broken air conditioner, but now we're doing it, you know, in the midst of this unbelievable situation that, that we're in. So um, I think we have to, to use this, you know, use what, what, we, what we found ourselves in the middle of and, and take advantage of the common ground that, uh, that we all have at this point. We all have a story, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I have a couple of sisters who've lost a job. I had an aunt that was on a ventilator. These are things that, you know, you're looking for something to talk to your, your homeowner about. These people have lost jobs. These people are, uh, you know, they have family that have been affected. So it, it, it just, it, it ties us together. Right. Yeah. I'm so yep. thankful you didn't use the C word cause I'm really sick of hearing it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, so that is, that's very, like, I agree with you there. I think that's something special and unique. It kind of, it brings the barrier down and allows you to accelerate that moment of trust being shared. Um, would you say that like back to the, the metric of time, I'm particularly interested in this back to the metric of time. Does, does 90 minutes versus 20 minutes allow you to accelerate trust? What's going on in that period of time? That Because it sounds like you're on the side of more time in the home better, right? I, yeah, completely agree. Um, it, you know, and I ran calls for a long time myself. So uh, I was, you know, I would walk into a house and I was just going to sit there and grind it out and take, I was going to take as long as it possibly, you know, as long as it was necessary. Um, I think that you can't walk into a house and in under 60 minutes, I don't think that you can do anything but build value. You know, I used to run a call and for the first hour, I just sat on the couch and sipped tea and talked about neighborhoods and golf and the kids and the schools and wasn't talking about air conditioning. So I don't think you can even get to the point at an hour in where you're starting to do your presentation. Um, so the time spent on a call, my expectation was, you know, that my guys were always going to be 
in there at a minimum of 90, right? And sometimes these calls were two and three, three and a half hours. So if, if you're not in there for 60, you haven't built the value, right? Yeah. If you're in and out of there and you can't build a relationship, and, and certainly if you've, you've quoted inside of an hour, that's just something's, something needs to change there. So Got it. Um, it, takes, it takes a while for them to, to trust you and to like yeah. you. And that, that can't be rushed. That process can't be forced. It can't be artificial. It has to be very natural. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, you have to build the rapport. And I believe that if you, if you're a sales guy and you go in with the sales mindset, a sales lead in, you're already at a disadvantage um, because nobody wants to be sold. Um, now that may sound cliche, but it's true. Like, unless you're a sales guy, and a kid comes to my door to sell me anything, I'm buying it because I respect what he's going, what that kid's going through. Because I know, having been in that role myself. That being said, uh, you know, if somebody's coming into my home, I'm, I'm already, I've already got a wall up because I'm waiting. Like these are all baited questions, and you have to bring that down. The only way I believe you can genuinely do that is if you really care about taking care of that customer, that comes across. It's almost like what I've heard in some different call coaching things that um, before on people can hear your smile. You know, like even if they can't see you, they can hear your smile. Um, I believe what you, you know, if you're being genuine, it really comes off that you're being genuine, you get care, and you actually need to listen uh, to what the customer is saying. You've got your own agenda, and if you play, I mean, you can work your agenda, Listen and make sure you understand, you know, and, and listen, man, people will make decisions based off of an emotion and you sure as hell want them to like you and think, you know, like, you know, know, like, Hey, this guy really, this guy really gives a shit about me. He's trying to help me. It's, it's not, what can I sell you? It's, you know, what can I help you with to solve your, your, your problem? So, um, appreciate you, you sharing that. I'm a big believer in, uh, and being authentic, you know, and not being a sales guy going in and, and uh, make them feel comfortable by being a genuine human being that actually cares and then educate them, you know, sales through education. I think that's a way better process. Um, okay. So if you were going to walk into a brand new company, okay, you've clearly been successful with some heavy, heavy hitters. If you're going to walk into a new company, what do you do to increase revenue and performance. What do you do to create revenue and performance? Those aren't like they obviously help each other, but like, what do you do? Like you brand new company, you walk into it, give us the just Lawrence book of or school of business. I think that for me, it always started in the call center and dispatch, you know, it's let, let's put the first line of defense. Let's, yep. Let's put the salespeople aside. Let's put your technicians aside. And it's where the calls come in, right? And the opportunities that are being lost and the opportunities that are being miscategorized and, you know, it's getting that part of your house in order. Um, and then of course, dispatch, you know, there are, there are owners out there probably who have gotten comfortable and, you know, their dispatcher or dispatchers, they, you know, they're really controlling the fate of the business and you have to have an extreme amount of trust, um, and sometimes that's misplaced. I, I think as, 
as an operator, whether you're the GM or owner or, or sales manager, uh, your involvement in your dispatch department has to be heavy and daily. Um, you can't just have a couple of dispatchers who are sending calls out because the distribution of those calls is all the difference. And for me, that's where it started. I, I was always, I sat with dispatch, you know, I, I wasn't going to, I, I knew that that's where the, the business was going to be made or, you know, made or broken. Um, so it started there for me, um, making sure that the right calls were going to the right people, making sure that the calls that were coming in were booked properly, not missing out on opportunities. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, then it becomes a matter of taking a look at the, the, the structure and the discipline, the process and the procedure of a business. Um, you know, I've walked into a couple of places where there was no structure, you know, everybody could do whatever they wanted and it showed in the numbers, it showed in the bottom line. Wild, wild west. It, it's true. It's true. I, uh, I walked into a place many years ago where uh, all technicians were in jeans, running shoes, um, and the sales department took off Fridays to play golf. Oh, and... Man. You know, this that's not a recipe uh, for success. <laughs> Check. <laughs> it, it's a it's a recipe for a good handicap, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, these are the things you, you walk in and you're like, really, you know, here's why you find yourself in this position. So, um, you know, it's places where there's a lack of structure and a lack of accountability and no discipline. Those are the places that these are these are easy. You know, these are easy things to correct, right? It, it, it's tough to get it implemented and get everybody on board, right? You have to earn their trust and they have to buy in in a new place. But smartac.com, smartac.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with SmartAC.com. You've got to check it out now. You know, in all, in all fairness, I think that it's fair to, to say that maybe they didn't really know. Like, we assume that you should know better. But maybe you don't really know. Like nobody's taught you that because all you've done is, you know, turn a wrench and work on air conditioning or plumbing, you know, they, you might not know. So I like that you're mentioning that because it seems so simple today. Like you're like, hey, but my jeans were nice and my shoes were clean. It's just a perception is reality when it comes to your, your consumer. And if, when they see you, it's like when they always say, make sure your truck's clean. Make sure that you're professional like you. Like if you dial it back to what you're wearing, it matters, you know, down to, you know, to, like, listen, in Rhino, we, you do not wear a suit in here. <clears throat> you don't wear a suit. People walk in and they wear a suit. We're not judging them. We just will say, you never, ever have to wear a suit in here ever again. It's not who we are. Right. We're in a different world. Like, th in technology, in our space, you can get away with kind of almost anything. But in your world, the professional services, these home services, um, you are a reflection of the business that you work for, you know, and that you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression. So... I just wanted to say, I think, it, you know, if you think there's people out there that just might clearly not know that you need to dress differently. That is a great point. Um, there are people who, you know, second generation 
you know, a technician who takes over his dad's business or buys his dad's business or whatever the case, there are guys that just, and all of a sudden they stumble upon a little bit of success and they've, you know, they're rolling 20, 30, 40 trucks, but they don't know any better because they've never seen a company who is structured and who is, uh, you know, set up for success. Um, so that's, it's a great point. And walking into those situations, it was always, you know, it's hard work, it's fun, um, and not everybody will buy in, right? There'll be some casualties along the way and you bring in the kinds of people that you know are gonna make sense for the business. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great point. There are a lot of people out there who've never seen the inside of a place that, you know, it's it's just nothing but structure and, and a lot of procedure, so. Well, I'm, um, I'm glad that you mentioned um, about starting a dispatch because um, that is your first line of defense. Like you have got to make sure that's on point. And a lot of times companies are bleeding right there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And a lot of it does, I mean, that doesn't mean if you just have CSRs, I'm talking like if you're at a point where you just have an office manager or it's you, for God's sake, answer your phone first off, right? If it goes to voicemail, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. People want to talk to human beings. Speed is a necessity. But if you have somebody answering the phone for you, and they're wearing multiple hats, you can't do everything as efficiently as possible. But what you can do and what your responsibility is, is to listen to some of those calls and let them know where they could be better, right? They have to learn too. And But if you're doing lots of things, you know, and you're just trying to get them done quickly and get them booked and you're frazzled, it comes across that way, you know, or if you're missing overcoming a, an objection, you know, but the reality of this thing is, is that it's not, those are all your, it's new customers, existing customers, referral customers, everybody coming in through all these different sources from your branding, whatever it might be, um, word of mouth, but it's all coming in to that one person who's going to answer your phone or whomever is answering your phones. And if they can't get it done, all that work was for nothing. All your training, your sales training, all this stuff is for nothing if they're not firing on all cylinders. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Numero uno. It is absolutely correct. There are, you look at the, the, the climate that we're in right now with all the private equity and all the acquisitions and, you know, 30, 40, $50 million companies changing hands. And, you know, when you reduce it down to at its simplest, it's just somebody answering a phone call and doing the right thing with it. That, and, and, and 10 people doing that or 20 people doing that allowing that business to be 30 or 40 million and doing double digit, you know, profit. It's just, it, it starts there. And to, and to any of our listeners, if you're having any issues with that, goodness, and you just don't have the time to do it, I get it, especially going into summer, but man, you can bleed a ton in summer when volume is picking up, you don't get it on point. So what, Paul, are we boring you today, buddy? I see you yawning. Did you not get enough sleep did last you, night, buddy? I did not, man, but I didn't I didn't want you to see that. I, tried I to saw it twice mouth. now. I let it go the first time. <laughs> I'm going to call it's you out crazy. on there. <clears throat> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, anyhow, for, so for our listeners, if you need any, any help with that, um, with the call coaching side of things, we found a really good partner that does an exceptional job. And trust me, I'm a hard ass to impress. And I've been down this road many times. But we found a really good partner. And if you listen to episode number 13, Critical Call Coach, critical call Coaching in a Crisis, you'll hear our friend Angie Snow from Go Time Success Group um, who has a seven-star seven, the seven star approach to awesome CSR training. It's 
phenomenal. So we brought her on to work with a couple of our customers with exceptional outcomes. So you don't have to go about it by yourself. I promise you by hiring that person, you will make far more than you think you're going to save by not doing it. That's my, uh, my quick little nugget on being able to help be helpful there. Paul, what's up, man? You got another question for uh, my man, Lawrence? Yeah. Now that you'll let me talk, I won't yawn. Um, so I want to pick up where you <laughs> left off Lawrence and that is, um, you know, what good looks like. So you worked for service champions in Southern California for quite a period of time. They're the largest, I believe, contractor in the state of California and probably one of the most successful, but they also have like, at least from my perception, like a really squeaky clean image, which isn't always easy to do when you're a, um, when you're the Goliath of an industry. So Tell me what, what made them successful? What lessons did you learn there that you were able to take to other roles? What's going on at Service Champions? Great question. Um, I'm a guy that's, that's I, I've been fortunate in my career. Uh, you know, you think of Bill Belichick and, and Bill Parcells, and you know, those guys always had a great staff, coordinators and position coaches, and then they would all leave and become great head coaches elsewhere, right? Um, I had a chance to work directly for Jim Abrams, and I had a chance to work uh, directly for Leland Smith. And, you know, at Service Champions, it starts with your leader, right? A company goes as its leader goes. And Leland is always the smartest guy in the room. He is the hardest working guy that I've seen. He works seven days a week. Um, you know, a lot of owners get to 15, 20 million and 25 million and they buy the big house and, you know, they're on the laptop at home calling it in. And that's not the way that things go at, at service champions. But, um, you know, the organization is, it's made up of great people. Um, there's a, there's an outstanding management team. And when you have a great management team who will enforce uh, the process and procedure that you put in place, um, it makes a huge difference. And we kept everybody in line. Um, you know, additionally, we, we recruited and built our own army. Um, you know, there are, there are folks out there who have a $20 million business. And if you ask them what their growth plan is for this year, they're going to say, I'm going to add 10 technicians. Well, how are you going to add those 10 technicians? Well, you know, a few guys will come through referral, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, we had a school at Service Champions and we pulled bright, smiling young kids off the street. And because we knew that we couldn't teach personality and if they had that, we knew that their, our, our clients wanted them in their homes. Um, and we taught them how, you know, how to, to run service. So we had a, you know, that was our growth plan. We were in control of it. We knew exactly how many people we were gonna hire on an annual basis. Um, and we grew the business responsibly. So lots of lessons to be learned uh, from an organization like that. I was fortunate to have spent, you know, so much time inside of those walls. And, um, you know, there's, that's the way to do it. Yeah, you know, out, of, out of curiosity, what was, sorry to cut you off. Um, sure. Out of curiosity, what was, or if, what was the difference, if, there, if any, between um, the, American-based company versus the Canadian-based company, um, besides the French side of things. But, like, was there any major difference <laughs> that, that you've seen between the two? Hold on. Bro. Huge... They, they don't speak French in B.C., right? That's only oh, yeah. Eastern. 
A few people do. That's mostly in on the eastern. Well, side so of hang the on. When you it wasn't super clear when it, I didn't realize it was just on <laughs> one side of Canada. Like I thought this was a much like maybe I'm wrong. So <laughs> clearly, I was wrong. If it's on if it's on the west side, then uh, what was the difference between the two companies, the U.S. <laughs> so the United States company and the Canadian company? Was there any major differences in in how you managed the two companies, or was it the same basic principles? Thanks, Paul. Um, there were some differences. Uh, the company that I ran was in Vancouver, British Columbia, and uh, it was the largest residential service company in the country, but it it didn't span the entire Got country. It. We okay. were just in British Columbia. Got it, BC. Um, Thanks, Paul. The, the interesting thing was, you know, we were rolling, you know, 100 plus trucks and, you know, big shop, right? Uh, but the, the biggest difference was, was uh, field personnel. Um, in a company of, you know, 200 people, I was the only American. Um, in Vancouver, you have 100, 150 skyscrapers going up as we speak. Uh, everybody lives vertically yeah, there. It's, it's, and it's built up in Vancouver, right? It's not exactly. like spread out, it's built up. It, it's all high rises, then 40, 50 stories. So all of your skilled labor, they're on the 32nd floor doing rough-ins and running piping and so it, there was no skilled labor to be found in Canada. So we had to go outside the borders. So everybody that I had working for me was from Scotland and Ireland and Australia and just everywhere else in the world. So we, we recruited, we recruited internationally. I feel um, like you naturally sell better if you have an accent. You know, there were a few guys you that Scottish a, accent, those guys a, were really, oh, yeah. They, they had big average tickets, those guys. Um, but that it presents its own set of challenges, sure, right? You're it. dealing with the communication portion, right? I mean, I would do sales training every morning and I'd have a, a, a group of, you know, I'd break it down 20, 30 guys and everybody was from a different part of the world. So you're, you know, you're, you're, you're teaching and they're all interpreting it a little differently. So its own set of challenges, um, but a fantastic experience. Uh, at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is please our customer anyway. So uh, those guys were great at getting reviews and um, we had a lot of success there. Um, Paul, gosh, do you want to say something again? I do. I, I got to know it's killing me here. So you lived in Southern California. You've lived in Vancouver. Tim Hortons or Starbucks? Oh, boy. oh Tim Hortons. <laughs> really? Tim Hortons all day long. I, uh, that is, you know, when I think about all the stuff that I miss about Canada, it, Tim Hortons is high on the list. It's not, um, it's it's not hockey. People from uh, the Canucks, you know, it's, <laughs> we, the, hockey on the east side of the country is a little different than uh, than the Canucks, but nothing to brag still, about. Still loved them. They yeah. were ours. So I have a quick question since that, if Paul, unless Paul has really, any more really important questions like that to ask? Are, are I good, no, Paul? you're good, but I would prefer if you'd raise your hand when you have something Fair to enough. say. Okay, so I'll raise it like this. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to, now clearly you've had a, a lot of great success with some of these large companies. Um, what I want to do is ask you between, a lot of our listeners are of various sizes. Um, some might be, this small you know, one truck shop. I mean, he's just trying to get it done. Just getting started technician who stepped out and who's just doing like in he's working in the business versus on it. Um, but 
maybe your goal is to hit, I just want to be 250 million or 250,000. I want to be half a million. I want to be a million. What is there anything you do differently? If Lawrence walks into a million dollar company versus a $2 million company, which I believe going from 1 million to 2 million is a different set of things you have to learn when you start getting into the bigger, like the bigger numbers. What is the, uh, what's a big difference between the guy who sells a million and the guy that sells 2 million. So some of the smaller numbers, like what do you believe is that bridge that needs to be gapped or the less needs to be learned once you hit one? Cause 1 million people are like, Holy shit, I finally hit 1 million. And you think like, my God, that took a lot of work and a lot of sales. And now you're like, okay, I need to hit my 2 million. My, how am I going to get there? You know, if there's a lot of mind, you know, mindset or mind growth as my guy Galero would say um, to it. But what is your opinion on that? Like what is the difference between a guy who sells 1 million and a guy who says sells 2 million? Uh, as an individual salesperson, you know, whether it's a, are we talking about like a selling tech? Sure. Yeah. I think a selling advisor? tech could be it. Cause I think a lot of, if you're smaller, a lot of it is still you are selling. Right. So you're wearing multiple hats. Um, I think that, you know, the folks that are selling 2 million and, and, and more, uh, they have, it's the process, right? These are the guys that they've figured it out. It's, it's a better post-close it's resetting the one leggers they're they're making more of the opportunities than the guy who sells a million right and of course like i alluded to earlier the ability at the end of a call to scramble and make something happen you know some guys like i said they're an hour into the call and it's upside down and they're not fighting their way out of it and walking out with anything the really great people can sit there remain calm just keep going and fighting through the objections. And at the end, they, they're in it. Um, when you're younger in your development or when you just don't have a great process, you're not gonna be able to get through that. You know, they're gonna show you the door. So I think tomorrow I'm doing a, a, a live training for our technicians uh, at our company and there's 200 plus of them. And I'm going to ask all of them to write down their process. And when you think about this as a technician, when's the last time you did write down your process, right? You just get up and you run your calls every day, but it's identifying where, where the issues are and let, let's find where we're having problems and let's correct them. Um, you know, a, a written plan on how, to, uh, on how to run a call is a written plan on how to earn more money. And so I think that we're gonna do that tomorrow. And I think that if everybody was to do that, uh, they would, you know, find out, you know, we're supposed to run the same call every time, right? It's, it's the old adage about, you know, you, you get an in and out burger in San Diego and you get one in Los Angeles and it's going to taste the same and the experience is going to be the same, right? That's the way that it's supposed to be. But if I run a call with these clients and I run a call with these other clients, did I run it the same way? If I did, there's probably a good chance that the outcome is going to be relatively close. So it's having a great process and following it every single time and not just winging it. Paul, what are you going to say about In-N-Out Burger? Here well, we I, I saw you laughing and I'm laughing because you know my In-N-Out Burger story, right? It happened <laughs> at your house. Yes. So I brought my wife out to the Christmas party for Rhino last December. And whenever she's on the West Coast, she's got to go to In-N-Out Burger. And this was during like a, I don't know, four or six month period of time where I was vegan. I was really trying to just eat nothing but vegetables. And um, we went to In-N-Out Burger and I ordered the veggie burger. 
And so we get it all the way to Chris's house. Like granted, you know, three hour time difference. We hadn't eaten. I was starving. I get this burger out and in and out burgers, veggie burger is just a burger with no meat. <laughs> let me, no, let me say that again. No. It is bread, lettuce, onion, tomato. That's it. <laughs> like it just, pull the burger out and put it on, put it on, put it on my wife's burger. So <laughs> I learned a lesson there, but you made me laugh. Cause I, I came back to that. Well, um, hey, that, man. that, that company is one that we, we talk about in our training rooms, right? Yeah. That, that is, they, the demand uh, that, that, you know, that you see, there's a line at every drive-through, right? Yeah. But everything they, they do is with a purpose. You know, the, everything's on display. All the windows are large, so you can see them cutting the fries. You can, you can see how clean everything is. You can see how everyone is dressed and how busy it is. When you go through McDonald's, it's a brick wall, right? They don't want you see what's seeing what's going on inside of there, right? As they pour the fries into the fryer from the frozen, it's just it's a different animal. And yeah. you know, that's a business that that is so successful here, and a lot of lessons can be taken from them. Yeah, can you? Can you talk about the, pro I know you're going to talk about this tomorrow, um, but can you talk about the process of a sales call like you kind of re referred to earlier? Can you break that down for our listeners? I think, uh, and, and this goes from many years back, but it was always, and everybody that's listening today will probably remember much of this from, you know, back in the day, but it was always the non-negotiables are a clean truck, proper uniform, you know, the right mindset, you get to the house, you're out of the truck in 60 seconds, you're at the front door, no tools, you knock, you don't ring the bell because, you know, strangers ring the bell and friends knock, friends knock. you step back. Good. But today it's a mask and it's gloves and, you know, that door pops open and you're going to have to work really hard at that point right now to start to build that value, right? But for me, I always wanted the guys, once they got in the door, set a great level of expectation. You know, tell your client, hey, I am here to provide five-star service for you today. And anything less than that, I'm going to fail you. So I'm going to do a great job today. At the end of this call, I'm going to ask you if I provided five-star service. And if I did, I'm going to ask you to leave a, re leave a review to tell everybody about it, right? Set a great level of expectation. I think that's that happens on the doormat, right? Um, and of course, you know, when you're running these calls, getting them involved and educating them. Um, you know, I tell my technicians that they should be bringing the customer over every 10 or 15 minutes so that they can see the hard work. If it's sight unseen and they're in the kitchen doing dishes and you're in there for an hour or an hour and a half doing whatever you have to do and they see the finished product, there's no impact, right? There's a reason that there are before pictures paired with after pictures. They have to see what you've gone through and that's the stuff that begins to build a relationship to break them down. You know, all of a sudden they're thinking, wow, this kid is working really hard. Let me, let me make him lunch. Let me offer him some water. Let me, you know, when he talks to me about a service agreement, I'm going to go ahead and be a little more open to that because I want this kid back in my home. Um, you know, these are the things that make a successful service call. And like I said earlier, running it the same way every time right? You just can't skip steps because the end result ends up being something less than what it should be. I love that. We actually talked to uh, um, a previous podcast and our guest was talking about how they would shoot video 
um, like little video snippets of the process to be able to go back and show the homeowner this own video, like the video to kind of bring them into the process. Um, and that was actually the first time I had heard that. And I thought that's really cool because I mean, maybe they don't really appreciate that you just got up in the attic. I mean, it's going to be 106 degrees here in Phoenix today. They don't appreciate that you had to get in the attic to go work on whatever. But if you can bring them into the process, I think it makes it far more personal too. So that you talking about before and after pictures and things like that, I think is a, uh, seems to be what a lot of the major effective players are doing is, is doing extra things like that to pull them into that, you know, into the process. The customer should be involved from start to finish. And if you do that, the chances at the end of the call that you're going to have add on sales or be, you know, be in the conversation for replacement are, are much more likely. Um, but I don't think a technician should be afraid to stand there and say, I'm going to deliver five-star service. Uh, those are the ones that at the end people, you know, they're going to tell their friends, they're going to go online, they're going to buy a system, they're going to sign up for a service agreement. So, um, you know, I, I think there are a lot of different ways to run a call, but for me, it's just always been about making the customer happy, getting them involved yeah, and shooting for the five-star review. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is communication. I'll give you a great example. I had my, um, my annual maintenance done or whatever, semi-annual maintenance done a few weeks ago. And I have the, um, you know, the pamphlet that tells me, and I'm in this industry, so, but I'm putting myself in normal consumer shoes and I'm looking through the pamphlet of all the services that are going to be provided and, and as part of this maintenance. And I uh, would have, it would have been so nice for the technician just to say, Hey, here are the things we did today. Like he just left and said, everything looked good. And so like from a consumer perspective, I'm wondering like, did I get what I paid for? Is there anything that would have been valuable to share with me whatsoever? And it's just a communication gap. And, and the good thing about that is most of most of that is controllable, but it starts, you know, at the top. It starts in those meetings. It starts in those trainings. It starts in the follow-up. Um, yeah, I, I won't. Yeah, I, I was let down as a consumer and I know this company. I yeah. you know, hired them to install my system. So, yeah, yeah, I would say the majority of consumers are let down when when interacting with contractors. Yeah, and they're the uh, ones who aren't. I bet I know who you're talking about and they're a decent, like they're a pretty decent sized company too. And like, that's one little variable that is easily, that can easily change. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, what's something I heard Lawrence say was, um, I mean, to wrap it up was more if you fail to, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So you can't just kind of go into this thing, you know, willy nilly. You gotta, you gotta make sure that you have a plan and you follow that plan. Um, and then whatever you do is mirroring the values of the company that you're working for. Because if as long as those things are coming out, I mean, the company's already established what their values are, and you should be a representation of those values, and that should be a part of your plan. Um, the uh, the piece I want to talk about super fast, and I'm going to wrap is um, it's interesting that you pr- that you bring up In and Out Burger, because also what I was thinking is that Ken Goodrich always preaches about Ray Kroc and the McDonald's deal. Now he forced me to watch the show. He didn't really force me. But I was intrigued by it. I watched it, and now I never want to go to McDonald's again. Um, not that I, not that it makes me feel good when I eat McDonald's. It was just, it was really awesome how they structured that McDonald's. I'm super impressed by how it was done. You know, like that, the the thought that went into every single process on how a Big Mac tastes the same everywhere you go. It's made the same everywhere you go. The layout of the McDonald's in the kitchen is the same everywhere you go. I respect that. I think that's amazing. Those are the processes and procedures that are in place to make it successful and scalable. I'm a fan of all that. 
it's a great uh, lesson. And those, the, the movie is, the founders are a great movie. Um, but boy, you know, it's in, I'd rather in be, our I'd industry. rather be in and out burger, man. Like I'm, these are the nicest people. Like I go to in and out burger and I feel like I'm like there, I'm family and I can see them. You talked about, you can see them making everything. Everybody's in a great mood and I'm in a great mood. Even though I'm waiting in line, I can still see him working. I'm like, damn, man, that guy's a, the, the poor bastard has to chop the onions. I feel bad for that person over there, just chopping onions and crying the whole time. He's the only one in there not happy. <laughs> You're smiling and just crying. But it is, uh, but it's a different, like, that's different. If you could marry the two, then I think you have the best, you know, case scenario, in my opinion. But I love a good In N Out burger. It's literally a mile and a half away from my house. But when I go there, I feel good. I feel good about eating this burger. And you're not, and you don't mind waiting. I right? do not you wait in line for 20 minutes because you, you know what you're going to get. The Absolutely. finished product, it's outstanding. So I cut you off. I knew you were going to say something, Lawrence, and I cut you off. And I'm sorry if you don't remember what it is. <laughs> okay, it's fine. I was just saying that I'll probably run to In and Out after this. <laughs> okay, uh, well that me too. Actually, sounds pretty good. Um, so I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to go ahead and wrap because I think we're uh, getting man, we're probably a little bit over normal time, 45 minutes. But I do want to ask this question and it's a topic that has come up recently that I've had multiple times though, but one that had come up and then given uh, the um, topic of this podcast on training and sales and things like that is what is your opinion on comfort advisors, a company using comfort advisors versus actually having the technicians sell. So comfort advisors versus selling techs. Are you one way or the other? Like what is your opinion on the two? I've had which both. one's better, you think, in your I, opinion? Yeah, I've had both. And, you know, each marketplace is different. Each company is different. Um, I think that from a, the company's perspective, if you are running selling technicians uh, who are, you know, running turnovers from from the, you know, the, the lower level technicians, your marketing expense is much less right? You're creating leads out of your own service base, as opposed to spending money to market for estimates. Yeah. So um, I love that business model. Um, and, you know, where I've worked, the selling technicians, you know, they're sort of a wolf in sheep's clothing anyway, right? They, they've got the uniform on, um, but these guys are expert communicators, guys and gals yeah. um, are expert communicators. And, and, you know, there's something about the uniform. It, it just, be able to walk in and take the, the the panels off and to, you know, they, people respect the fact that you have the technical expertise. That is something in your back pocket that the comfort advisor doesn't have. Um, so the company, you know, the, and, and typically on marketed leads for the comfort advisors, uh, the margins are going to be thinner, right? Um, because you're marketing for those leads and uh, you know, the, it, it's a little more competitive. You're up against three bids. Well, if you're just running a tune-up and they turn the lead, these people weren't in the market to buy a system today and you're getting your, you know, your full retail price. So um, I like the selling tech model, um, but I've seen success with, with both. Just depends upon the marketplace. Okay. I think, that, and I believe that um, in order to hit big growth, you have to be excellent at both is my opinion. Now I've never run again, I've never run a company. So maybe that's not how it works, but um, I completely understand that your cost per lead is higher, but you're also going after a 
it's somebody who's not a current customer or doesn't, you know, like, so it's new business. So that's that one arm of like new business that you have to, to do to increase your add-on replacement and service business. Um, clearly it makes sense to me if you are already in the home as a technician, you've built the rapport, you don't have the, in, you know, like I, it's not the intimidating, you're a sales guy approach. You have the advantage. Um, and if you're educated enough and can, and can communicate well enough that you can, you know, like your close ratio is significantly higher, but I believe you got to have both. You got to have both. If you want to hit some exponential growth, is that fair? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, if ideally, if I was to start a company today, my business model would be to market for tune-ups, go ahead and use the selling technicians to come in and, you know, the lead is turned to them. And if you have a few comfort advisors to run the estimates and the marketed leads, um, you know, you have the best of both worlds. Amen and, uh, to that. Yep. yep. Amen to that. Did you ever think there's going to be a day where you had to sell virtually? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you, all the commercials right now on, on TV in this town are talking about the no contact yep. iPad, you know, uh, FaceTime estimate. And, uh, you know, I don't think we, I, I think the mask and the gloves, I think people are relaxing right now a little bit and I've found that they're welcoming, welcoming us into their homes, you know, with open arms right now. Got it. Paul, you have any uh, closing questions for uh, my man, Lawrence? No, no, you did a really good job of kind of telling us, you know, some of those things that go on behind the scenes. I mean, is there, is there anything that you identify right now? That's just like a big opportunity either for your current company or for other business owners out there. Like what's the one thing that's out there right now that, that you're excited about? Um, you know, this is right now, and I'm just thinking about, you know, for people who own businesses right now who are maybe searching for an answer, right? They want to eke out a few extra points. Um, they want to be in a position to, you know, be approached by somebody who's rolling up companies. I think for those folks, it's it's in the numbers, right? You, it's in your reports, Um I, I think that um, the, and it goes back to the question earlier when we were talking about walking into a company and finding the opportunity. Um, I think that, you know, some of these folks out there with 10 and $15 million companies who are turning a single digit, uh, they're never going to be in the, in, in the conversation to be, you know, to be considered to, to, you know, to purchase or to become part of a bigger organization. So, uh, there's opportunity. They just have to look at their reports and they have the ability to change the outcome every single day. Mm -hmm. It's, it's keeping an eye on your business and not sitting back and, and letting other people run everything for you. Um, takes, you know, I, I look at the, like I said, the people that are, are ultra successful, they work harder than everybody. Right. And that's the way to get there. The answers are in your numbers. They really are. Yep. Perfect. Yeah, and I've uh, what I hear is regardless of size of the company, you have got to force yourself to take your working in the business hat off and put your working out of the business. You know that way you can work on the business at some point. So you got to set set aside some time to only focus on the business, not what actually working in the business. That's an old Michael E. Gerber uh, quote from his book, The E Myth Revisited. Um, but I come one hundred percent believe that you have to take time to set aside to look at your numbers. You know, not just your sales are great to solve a lot of problems, but that's only going to get you so far. 
So right. Lawrence, man, I appreciate you coming on, sharing the knowledge, sharing the success. I know that you've also over the years walked lots of people into your shops and shared things with them and been helpful in the, in the, uh, in the home services community. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. So thank you very much for being that guy to uh, your peers. My pleasure. It's been great to be here with you guys and I'm going to go get an In-N-Out burger right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, much success to you guys down there in San Diego. I know you're going to crush it. Um, and I look forward to to watching that and uh, and continuing your relationship with you. And uh, to all of our listeners, uh, hopefully you had some great takeaways here too. And again, um, I always preach this. If you wrote, took down some notes, if you have some mental checklists or whatever it is, remember ambition without action is what, Paul? It's useless. It's useless. So thank you again so much. Listen, if you like the podcast and you've listened to it enough times, Will you please give us some good reviews? Just like you need reviews, I think we need more reviews. We have a, a ton, which is great. So I'm selfishly saying, show us a little love, please, because we want to try and share this with as many people as we possibly can to help those, because there are thousands upon thousands of contractors across the United States of America and Canada. My goodness, we have listeners from all over. When I was looking at the different countries that people have come from, there's like 30-some-odd countries. It's pretty amazing. So all you listening outside the United States of America, thank you so much. Uh, and we're grateful for you. Um, until next time, to the point podcast listeners, we appreciate you so much. Make it a kick-ass week. Thank you for listening to To The Point. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a review in the App Store. And don't forget to share with your friends. Till next time, kick some ass.